good? Amen. Amen. Is he still going to be good if the 49ers win? Is he still going to be good if the Chiefs win? My name is Dave Denstead. If you're here for the first time, I'm one of the pastors here. God is going to allow us to be blessed by his word. Let's pray before we get started, though, just to give it to him. Father, thanks for this time and for your Holy Spirit and his presence here. And we thank you, Father, that um, you have a word for us and you know us each individually. And so may your Holy Spirit just work in our hearts and may what you have for us um, become real in our lives. And we just want to praise you for your goodness to us. Give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, thank God the game doesn't start till like 3.30, but I promise I'm going to get you out here early enough to uh, do all the party planning and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to set the tone for the, you know, how long Doug should take to preach a message so we can start uh, getting it shorter. And the good news is you won't, uh, you won't have to be going to your cell phones to check the scores or anything, so... That's kind of good. You know, last Sunday we knew how many people were actually reading their Bibles on their cell phone and how many people were checking things as uh, the news came across of the tragedy that happened last Sunday. And it really was unfortunate, wasn't it? I mean, it's one of those types of things are so shocking that you have somebody that um, is so well-known and so popular and so famous and has conquered so many things that that could even happen to somebody like that. And I think as people, you know, we just need to hold the family. How devastating that has to be for, you know, Vanessa and the kids to ha have that kind of stuff happen. And then the other seven people are in there and their families and it, it impacted so many different people. And I think for me, it, it, it again is one of those things where I go, man, um, Life is so fragile. I mean, somebody that you would never imagine something like that would happen, and yet it doesn't matter who we are, life happens. And, uh, and as, as people, as we walk through this journey that God's put us in, to realize that um, it's just a fleeting experience. And James, as he goes through this letter that he writes, continually repeats that and tries to help us begin to have a perception that is a far more of an eternal perception than sometimes we, ha we gather because we're so into the present. And as we get into the Word, I, I think this will be good because James really does want us to, um, to have, have a different perception than possibly what we normally would have without being kind of challenged to think a little bit differently. And just to review, you know, who, who was James? Jesus' brother, right? So, so did James believe who Jesus was when Jesus was on earth? No. He was his brother, but he didn't believe in him. And as we look at some of the Gospels, we, we see that because in Mark 6, it says Jesus was out doing his ministry. He was, he was doing miracles. He was healing people. He was doing amazing things. And he comes back into his hometown, and he starts preaching in his hometown, and the people go, isn't this... Joseph and Mary's son, the carpenter? What, what, is, what do you think you're doing talking to us about this stuff? And Jesus 
said, you know, a prophet has, has no honor in his hometown among his relatives, and, and not even his brothers believed in him. James goes, dude, man, I would pin you every other day, man, when we wrestled. Don't, don't be telling us you're some son of God, you're some Messiah. Come on now, let's get off of this thing. And we see in John 7 that the brothers actually went to Jesus and said, you know what, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really God, then, then why don't you go to the festival? Why don't you go to the big city and tell people who you are? Why don't you let the world know that you're the Messiah, if you're really the Messiah? And John tells us that they didn't go to tell him that because they believed in him, because they thought that he would get, they went there to shut him up. Say, go strut your stuff and find out. Fall on your face and then come back here and let's get back to reality. That was a relationship that James had with Jesus when Jesus was in the midst of his ministry. He didn't believe in him. In fact, he made a joke out of him. He tried to get him to stop this ridiculous thing that he was doing. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, as, as Paul writes, and he records what happened, Jesus dies and he's resurrected. And it says he comes to Peter, he comes to the apostles, he comes to the 500, and he comes to James. And he shows himself to James. I mean, I wonder what that interaction was like. <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, did he just like fall back in fear when he saw him? It's just, did he... Did he just run up and hug him? Um, did he do like some of us who are younger brothers? He'd go, man, I was so wrong, Jesus, <laughs> you know? What did he do? Did he fall down and worship? I, it's interesting. But what we do know was that after Jesus died and he pulled off this Easter thing and he came back and he saw James, that James' life was changed, radically transformed, changed for the rest of his life until he was put to death. And we see in Acts 1 that it says Mary and his brothers, Jesus' brothers, was there with the original 120. So he is one of the first Christians of the gathering that gathered in the upper room. This guy that knew Jesus better than anybody else was somebody who was changed from a skeptic to somebody that was one of the first Christians. He became a follower, he became a pastor, and he became a hub in Jerusalem, which was the center of Christianity. What a radical transformation that happened in James's life. It's amazing. And we see in Acts 15, as James and the disciples are going through the ministry and things are exploding, 5,000 people are coming to the Lord here and 5,000 people over there and the church is exploding like crazy. And, and, and Paul gets saved and Paul starts just going out and preaching the gospel and all of a sudden, non-Jews are starting to meet the Lord and, and God tells Peter, go with Cornelius and all of a sudden, Peter experiences this experience with, with non-Jews and these Gentiles start coming to the Lord and it starts causing all kinds of concerns because the Jews are saying, hey, isn't this just supposed to be for us, right? And Paul says, no, it's for the world. And so the Jews go, well, what are we supposed to do about it? And they go, well, we're, they're going to have to follow our laws. And Paul says, uh, uh, I think we have a problem with the Gentiles on that one because um, we're telling them they're going to have to give up their bacon and ribs, and I, I don't think that's going to go over very well with them. <laughs> they're not really going to be liking that. And boy, when we talk to them about that circumcised circumcision thing, man, they're going to just like shut down the church. <laughs> so they have this conversation about what's going to happen, and 
says that they'd bring all these believers together, all the, the heavies in Christendom. And they come together, and there's Barnabas there, and there's Peter there, and there's Silas who's there, and there's Paul there. And all these heavies come together. The, probably the biggest power meeting in, in Christendom, probably ever, these guys are all the, coming together trying to figure out what to do, what's going on. And they're talking about what the Holy Spirit is doing and how God is ministering to people who are Gentiles and they're not. And, and all this conversation happens and it says, then, then there became this quiet over the room of all these power people. It says that they all became, became quiet and it says James stands up and they, they all were quiet and listened. And he said, listen. So with, with Barnabas, Paul, Silas, Peter, all these heavies, they just quiet down and he stands up and he says, you know, here's what we need to do. And he gives them this Bible study of the Old Testament and then he says to them, he goes, man, we're not under the law. They're saved by grace and grace alone and so here's what we're going to do about it. So here's this guy that a few years ago was telling everybody that Jesus was a joke and gave him no respect and tried to shut him up and all of a sudden he's the leader of the church, pivotal periods of the church life and here is James the one that God is using to do unbelievable things among the greatest leaders in Christendom at that time. Amazing transformation that, that, that James has gone through. And I want to tell you that to talk about this passage and, the, and this book because when we think about the stuff that James is talking to us about, we have to realize that James' perspective on life took a radical shift in that short period of time from the resurrection to when he wrote the book. And he saw things completely differently than he did before the resurrection. And he's trying to communicate that to us so that we begin to see things a little bit more from the perspective that he, that he is getting from the Lord. Because he has this perspective of really seeing Jesus much differently than he's ever seen him before, and now having a relationship with Jesus that's much different than he's ever had before. And so he writes this book to the churches that are dispersed, and he starts talking about things like, how do you deal with trials? And he, and he says things that don't make sense. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Really? That's easy for you to say, James. Because the testing of your, your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance allows you to have a perfect result, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What are you talking about? And he says, if you don't get it, just ask God for wisdom. He'll explain it to you. Because he gives generously and above reproach. But don't doubt. Because if you doubt, don't expect you'll get anything. <laughs> really, James? What are you talking about? You know, and Doug did such a good job of laying out that, those passages and help us understand the perspective. And then, and then he gave that definition of faith that I really like, to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do and then to act on it. And so when we start relating to God, we start seeing God through a different uh, set of lenses. We start seeing what's happening around us through eternal lenses rather than temporal lenses. And then he comes to this passage. If you haven't already gotten to James 1, we're going to be in James 1, starting at verse 9. So you can go to the same place you did the last two Sundays. Or go to the back of your Bible and work your way forward. That's the easiest way. So anyways, in James 1, starting with verse 9, 
He says this, he says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. I mean, he's still talking about this same attitude that we're, that we're supposed to have in the midst of trials, in the midst of things going wrong. And let's kind of get an idea of what he, who he's talking to. Because when you look through the book of Acts, you, you see that, that, that the apostles were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came and, and God started doing unbelievable things. And the church was growing and as the church grew, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders didn't like that a whole lot. And so they started um, putting pressure on the apostles to stop preaching. So they, they grabbed them and they threw them in jail and somehow miraculously the doors opened, they got out and all of a sudden they, they go to find them, they're not in the jail and they go, where the heck are they? Well, they're back in the temple preaching. So they bring them and they says, you can't preach anymore. Stop preaching. And they said the classic line, we must obey God rather than men. You decide who we should obey, but for us, we're going to obey God rather than men. They says, well, then we're going to beat you and tell you to stop doing it. And if you want us to keep beating you, keep doing it. And they went out and they kept preaching. And they kept having an impact. And then as we go into 6 and 7, we see this guy named Stephen. And Stephen starts preaching this message that's probably one of the most powerful messages. And, and the Jewish people just freak out and they end up stoning him. And as he's, as he's dying, he says, I can see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And Saul is standing there watching it. They laid their cloaks at his feet as they stoned Stephen. And then it says, from that point on, Saul led this persecution where they were going into homes and pulling people out and throwing them in prison and killing them. So these people were dispersed throughout Samaria and Judea. All they had a chance to do was grab whatever they could grab and leave. They didn't have time to figure out how to get movers and how to, they just left with whatever they had. And so, so James is saying, hey, if you're finding yourself in humble circumstances like you had to leave with nothing, go just glory in the high position you have. It's amazing the perspective he has, and we're trying to figure out what the heck is he saying? Why is he saying that? How can we glory in our high position? I mean, think about it, what it would be like if that happened here today. I mean, what, what, what would it be like if, if all of a sudden some entity in California became totally anti-Christian and was given permission by the state of California to, to go in and drag all the Christians out of their homes and throw them in jail or kill them if they wanted to. They could do whatever they wanted. And, and you, you don't know if you're in your house if somebody's going to kick in your door and grab you and your family and take you off to prison or take you off and kill you. And so all you have a chance to do is grab whatever you can grab, throw it in the back of your car, and then head off to Arizona or Idaho or Colorado or Tennessee or New Mexico or wherever you land, and you land there with just your car with no gas in it because it just ran out and whatever clothes you have. And by the way, your bank account got closed because you're a Christian and you can't have that stuff. So you have no resources. Now put yourself in that position and now you're reading this letter from Pastor Doug that says, oh, you know, glory in your, um, it's, uh, be, uh, the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. That's a tough one. How can James say that? Well, James 
is looking at things through a different lens. James is, is saying, you know, here's a challenge. What do you have your value in? What determines your value? What's your net worth? See, today, here and now, our net worth really is, is all about what we have here and now. And, and if we just looked at it from just a worldly point of view, we have to understand that our net worth has nothing to do with our self-worth. And James is trying to help them be encouraged by the reality that their net worth has dwindled to nothing, but it really doesn't have anything to do with their self-worth, with who they are in Christ. And as we get our arms around that and we can begin to realize that it really doesn't matter what our position is, what our title is, what our roles is, how much money we have, what our relationship is, how big our bank account is, what our retirement portfolio looks like, what the equity is in our house. None of that really matters in the whole scheme of eternity. And James is trying to help us understand that when trials happen to us and when things happen to us, the things that are impacted are the things that we have here and now. Where we get impacted is in the things that are here and now, the worldly things. And he's trying to help us understand that those are the things that really aren't the things that really impact our self-worth. They don't impact who we are in Christ. And in those situations, if we can remember a high position, it allows us to be people who are being able to be used by God wherever we are and to be encouraged because we know that he's going to use us. But, but to be able to understand who we are in Christ is so important. I mean, John was going through all kinds of stuff. And in the third, John 3 says, How great a love the Father has poured out on us that we may simply be called children of God. How great a love he's poured out on us. And what did he do to show his love for us? He, he, he just calls us his children. We're children of God. And that, that's exciting to me because we're heirs with Christ. I mean, if we understand our high position, and this is what, what James realized as he saw the resurrected Christ. He realized who he was in Christ. And he goes, man, if you can understand that you're heirs with Christ, you're heirs to the throne. When you understand that, so much of the stuff here doesn't quite have the impact. Because here's the reality for you and for me. Do you realize that we have some mansion in heaven? I mean, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that awesome? We have a place prepared for us in a gated community, by the way. One access code. <laughs> right? I mean, not there yet, but I'm, gonna, I'm going. I'm not in a hurry, but hey. When he's ready, I'm excited about what he's prepared. And I'm excited about getting there. And John says the streets are paved with gold. So all the things that we think are so important, John says, not important. See, think about this. James really saw his brother. I mean, James saw his brother before and after. And so when you start talking about you know, humble circumstances. Was Jesus rich? Was he poor? Depends on which Jesus, right? I mean, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He has cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus is really wealthy. But what did Jesus do? Jesus recognized that in order for him to impact the world and to be used by God, he needed to become lowly and be a servant and be humble so that God could use him to save me and to save you, to have us enjoy the relationship with his Father. And, and, and James saw Jesus, who was the Messiah, Christ the Messiah. And Jesus, even though he knew his position, 
didn't think his position was something that he had to um, live, have, have people recognize. He would humble himself to the point of being a servant, even death on a cross, as Paul writes in Philippians. See, he saw Jesus as somebody who knew his value. He knew his high position, and yet Jesus was, was willing to humble himself and, and move into his creation so people could see God. And so he's trying to help us understand that if we do that, if that's where we find ourselves in a humble position, we should, we should glory in the high position that we have in Christ because it isn't about this, it's about this, which should be such an encouragement to us when we go through difficult times, when we go through challenges. Because usually when we go through challenges, the things that impact us are things here. Impacts our bank account. It impacts our material possessions. It impacts our health. It impacts those things that we, we, we experience here. And, Paul, and, and James is saying, yeah, that's reality, but where you glory is, is where eternity is and, and living in eternity. That's exciting. And to know our position in Christ and to know who we are in, in Christ really helps us in the midst of whatever's happening here to continue to be people who um, uh, have joy and have peace and have the ability to move forward according to what he's called us to do. Because here's the reality. Our net worth does not determine our self-worth. Our net worth doesn't determine our self-worth. It, it, it doesn't really matter. And so James wants people that are in, are in um, the, the humble circumstances to glory in the high position. And then he goes on in verse 10 and says, The rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. And so J James then says, okay, on the other end of the spectrum, the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. And and, you know, people go, yeah, that's a good way to go, James. Get after those rich guys. But that's really not what James is doing. He's really not coming down on the rich guys. He's basically saying it doesn't matter. Both of us are going to end up in the same place. We're go both going to be people who, you know, are going to be like flowering grass, and we're going to pass away. And the reality is, is for us, because we always say, well, they're talking about that person because that person's rich, you know, and that person. It's really not us. But when we think about, you know, the reality of our world today, if you um, have running water, if you have electricity, if you have a vehicle, if you have a computer, if you have a television, you're among the 15% most wealthy people in the world. And you go, yeah, but Dave, but that, you don't know my situation. I'm barely making it by, man. At the end of the month, is just scrapping by. And yeah, then you might be the lower part of the 15% richest people in the world. But when we look at ourselves in, in, you know, against the rest of the world and the poverty of the world, we are doing so well. And, and James is saying, look, at, what you need to do is, is realize that where you are is, is, is where you are is because of the grace of God and, the, and what God has done to provide you with all that you have. To be humble and thankful, realizing that where I am in my position here is because God's been so good to me and God has blessed me so much. And to be humble and realizing that everything I have, we, I have because God has given it to me. 
It's a gift from God. And for those who may be thinking, well, wait a minute, I worked really hard for what I have. I, I have my salary because I worked my butt off for my salary, and I went to college, and I passed all my tests, and I went out and found a job, and I did a great job at my job, and I'm, that, I did that. I would say, well, it, really? So did you choose to be born here? Is that your decision? Did you make that happen? Did, did you, were you the one who gave yourself the brains that you have to get through school? or the, the aptitude that you have, or the ability that you have. So, so really, we want to be people who realize that God has blessed us and has equipped us, and we want to use that what he's, which is given us to maximize our potential. But to be humble and go, thank, thank you, Lord, so much that you put me here. Thank you so much that you created me the way you created me and that you've allowed me to be used by you where I'm at with what I have to glorify your name. And so James is saying to the people that have money, hey, it's really not about that glory and humiliation because like flowering grass, it's going to pass away. So really our value comes from whose we are, not what we have. See, that's where we get our value. That's what James is trying to tell us is be humble because it really is about you having a relationship with God and how God has created you and blessed you, not what you have. And we'll see as he continues to go through this in the big scheme of things, that really is the least important thing is what we have. Because our value of what we are and who we are and our joy and our sense of security shouldn't be around what we have. It should be around who we belong to, who our relationship with Christ, where we are in Christ. It's really got to be the center of our value system. It's got to be the thing that we value more than anything else. What am I finding my value in? Am I finding my value in my relationship with Christ and what he's called me to be or in the things that I have here? Where do I get my self-image? Where do I get my self-worth from? And, the, and, and what James is trying to tell us is, hey, that all comes from the Lord. And, and in fact, he goes on and he talks a little bit more about this temporal fleeting existence. He goes, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. We read that and we go, oh boy, he's really coming after it, you know. It's, so is it wrong for me to have what I have? I mean, is it wrong for me to enjoy what I have? Is it wrong for me to be working to make more money when I, in my job? I mean, is this one of those messages that I'm supposed to feel like if I have more than one pair of shoes and I go out to eat at a restaurant, I'm going to hell? And that I have to give away everything? No, it's not. I mean, we so often go to extremes. But... What James is saying is that is, is it wrong for a Christian to simply be a poor person? Yeah. Is it wrong for a Christian to simply just be a rich person? Yeah. See, it's not about wealth, rich or poor. That's the thing James is trying to get after. It's wrong for us to simply be people in an economy saying this is just where I find myself. We're supposed to be people who realize I'm not rich or poor, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And this, the scoreboard of this world really doesn't matter. It doesn't affect that. And see, once I get that straight, 
It's not wrong to have a little, and it's not wrong to have a lot. It doesn't matter. It's what I do with what he's given me. And that's what James is saying. Hey, if you find yourself in humble circumstances, man, glory in your high position. If you find yourself doing really well, glory in your humility. Because both of them are based on your relation with Christ. You're here because your relation with Christ. You're here because your relation with Christ. And eternity is the same for both of us. And when we start talking about wealth and stuff, I think one of the best passages is in the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy, you go back a few uh, pages through Hebrews again, and then you get to 1 Timothy. We're going to be in um, verse 17. We're going to go 17 through 19. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, Instruct those who are rich. Who's rich? Us. Yes, we are. And, and that word is command. So he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the certainty of riches. See, and he's saying, he's commanding the rich. So when we look around, we go, well, that's what we're talking about, that guy over there. He's got that nice car, and he's got that big house, and all that. That must be that guy. It's us, right? So here's what he says. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but give away all their money so that they can be sure that they are Christians and that God loves them. <laughs> that's not what it says? That's why you have to bring your Bibles. You never know who's going to come up here and start telling you things that aren't really true. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to what? To enjoy. To enjoy. See, God wants us to be people who live a life that is meaningful. And so as we look at this passage, there's like three things I want us to note about what, what, what um, Timothy talks about wealth. Okay, one of the things that you don't see in here, does Timothy say anything about getting rid of it? Does he say anything about feeling guilty if you're wealthy? It doesn't, right? It doesn't say any of those things. And all of us here, to one degree or another, are wealthy, so he's talking to us. So here are some things that he says that we should understand about wealth. The first thing he says is he's instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. So the first thing that we should do is not be arrogant about it. Don't boast about what we have. I mean, it's so uncertain anyway. You could have it today and it could be gone tomorrow. He says... Put your confidence in um, your income or your retirement or the equity of your house or things like that. It's going to be fleeting. He says, if you're going to put your confidence in anything, put it in God, who's the one who's given you all that things and who's unchanging. And some of us may go, well, that, you know, I worked for that. Well, you really? I mean, did you, are you the one who got yourself born here and got all those talents? No, we didn't. And hopefully we're faithful to continue to develop ourselves, but, but, Timothy is telling us, man, if we're going to boast, boast in the fact that we have a relationship with God. Boast in the fact that we understand who God is and that we know God and that we have a relationship with him. And it has nothing to do with what we have. It has everything to do with who we know and that we have a relationship with God. And the second thing he says is don't put your hope in it. You know, he says, he says you know, 
Don't be conceited or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. And so he says, don't put your hope in it. And Jesus is really cool because in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us that we should be rich. So you're saying, I didn't know that Jesus told us we should be rich. That's why you should read your Bible. See, you bring your Bibles, you learn all kinds of cool things. See, Jesus says to us, he says, I want you to be incredibly rich. I want you to be great. In fact, I want you to be the greatest. But he kind of redefines what rich is and what greatness is as he says that. And in Matthew 6, he says this. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. I mean, on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, where stock markets can crash and you can lose it all and where people could come in and steal it. He says, lay up for your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal it. See, you've heard people say, you can't take it with you. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you can. <laughs> you can take it with you. You've heard people say you never see a, you know, a U-Haul behind a hearse. And Jesus is saying, man, you can stockpile stuff as much as you want. You can store up your treasures in heaven. You can stockpile as much as you want. Just put it away. Just make sure you know what account it's in. See, James is trying to give us this perspective, and it's reinforced by what Timothy is saying. And here's the, here's the thing. People who are only rich on this earth, when they die, they're going to leave it all behind. It's reality. But a person who is rich before God, when they die, they go to their riches. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. God says, put your riches, put your treasure in places that are forever, so when you die, you're not leaving it behind, you're going to it. I tell you, that is good news. James is trying to get us to understand this. As he tries to get us to understand this, this paradox between, you know, the rich and the poor. That, that in God's economy, that really doesn't matter. It's who we are in Christ. And then the third thing that Timothy wants us to understand is he says that instruct them in verse 18 or command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And so, James, so Timothy is saying the third thing we need to do is be generous and willing to share it. See, the exciting thing is you don't find too many places in Scripture where the Bible talks about what we're supposed to have here on earth. It talks a lot about what we're supposed to do with what we have here on earth. Amen? And so Timothy is telling us, man, make sure that what you're doing with what you have here on earth is going into the right account. Make sure it's going into the right account. Don't be concerned about what you have here in this life that's going to be temporary. Be more concerned about what's going to happen when you step out of this life and you go to the eternal. And you come before God and God says, um, where's all your treasure? And you go, well, it's down there. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, um, I have an account with your name on it. And you go, well, where is it? He goes, well, you can go look if you want. The door's been open for years. I've been waiting to put something in it. Where is it? And you go, well, it's down there. And he says, um, I told you how to be rich. And you go, well, I thought you were joking. <laughs> and he goes, well, 
didn't, didn't, didn't you read what I told you? I mean, how could you think I was joking? Did you read Timothy? And you go, well, I didn't bring my Bible and read it, but Dave read it to me. <laughs> well, what did it tell you? Well, two times it commanded me not to put my hope and pride in what I had, but make sure I'm using it for the things that will last. Well, what did you do with it? Well, down there. See, wouldn't it be sad? Scripture, you know, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 9. He talks about what we do with our money. And Scripture talks about us talks about it throughout scripture it's not how much you have or what you have scripture is always talking to us about what we should do with what we have it's not wrong to be wealthy it's not wrong to be poor it's what's wrong is when we use that in isolation and we don't realize that wherever we are we are there at this point in time so that god can do what he wants to do to further his purposes and we get the privilege of being a part of that See, we get to people, and, and Paul is telling the Corinthians, use your generosity so people can see who your God is and can glory in, in who your God is. It becomes a reflection of who God is, and we're able to, to show people the God that we serve by the people that we are. And the reality is this. There's really only two things that are important in this world that are going to be eternal. One is the Word of God. It's, it, it, it goes, it's forever. It's truth forever. And the other one is people. Those are the only two things. And so when we start looking at what we do with ourselves, what we do with our resources, what we do with our talent, what we do with our time, what we do with the things that we have, the question is, what am I doing that's going to impact the word of God going to people so people's lives can be changed? And what am I doing that will impact people? So the people's lives can be changed and they can be transformed. If we begin to measure it through those vehicles, we'll be able to use our money and be able to use our resources in a way that will store up treasures in heaven eternally. What a great thing. It's, it's our relationship that we have with Christ knowing that our purposes are eternal. And James had, had a, such a strong perspective on this because he saw how Jesus was before and he didn't believe in him. And then he saw the risen Jesus. He goes, oh, that makes total sense now. When, this way I couldn't understand. How could Jesus just live that way? How could he be such a servant? How could he be like a, I mean, I don't get what he's doing. And then after the resurrection, he goes, Ah, I get it. And that's the light that comes on when we come to know the Lord and the Holy Spirit moves in us and begins to help us understand when Jesus says, you want to be great? Then be the servant of everybody. And we, man, we fight against that, don't we? Don't we? God, I'm tired of serving my wife. I'm tired of serving my husband. I'm tired of, you know, being the one at work that's nice. I'm tired of... And Jesus goes, man, you want to be great? Learn how to be great. A couple things as we wrap this up that will help us as we look at how do we use that which God has given us and how do we value what God has given us so that if he's given us much, we can be humble in that knowing that it's totally God's grace. If we're struggling, we can glory in that because we know we have a high position with God. The first thing that I think will be helpful for us to understand is that we need to make sure that the ownership is God's and not mine. This is the challenge that we have is when we think that what we have is ours and somehow we have to share what is ours with God. And when we realize that it's God's, and what God says we should do with it, we should do with it. 
it makes it so much easier. It, it lets us go, okay, it's yours. And when things happen, we can let things happen because we know they're his. So if we can give him the ownership and we can allow him to use it for things that will be useful for his kingdom, when he can use me for ways that would glorify his name, as a husband, how I love Marge, as a father, how I love my kids, as a neighbor, how I love my neighbors, as a person that comes to Grace Fellowship, how I serve here in Grace Fellowship. When I can know that he's the owner of those things and he's the one that allows me to participate with him, with what he has, it frees me for that. And then the second thing is, in the same context of that, is since I know he's the owner, if I can see myself as the manager, not the owner, it has a totally different responsibility of what I do with what he's given me. So now it's not mine, and how do I share a little bit about what I have with God? It's God's, and I say, how do I manage this most effectively for you, God? How do you want me to manage this? And see, when Jesus told the parable in Matthew 25, and he says this master comes and he gives his, his servants his five talents, and he gives another servant two talents. And the servant with the five talents comes and says, hey, you gave me five talents, and now I have ten talents. He goes, here, this is yours. I managed it for you. He didn't go, well, thanks for those five talents. Look what I did with them, man. I did pretty good. And stick it in his pocket. See, that's the thing with us is God has given us talents and abilities and time and 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 things that we can use we can manage to further his kingdom the question is how does he want us to do that and instead of being caught up in what we have and saying well i just am so lowly i'm just so miserable i just am so poor man i'm so, we can we can glory in our high position i'm a child of god i'm an heir and if God happened to bless us, we go, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve it. How do you want me to use this? How can I glorify you in what you've, what you've blessed me with? I tell you, if we can do that, it allows us to have so much stability in our life, and it frees us from these ego trips that we go into where we think we're better than other people because we did this, and if they were just worked as hard as we did or you know, were as disciplined as we were, um, it just frees us to love people unconditionally and to be used by Jesus to be a light in the midst of darkness. What a great thing. James understood it. And he's saying we need to have a perspective that's so different than what we've had. Once we see the risen Christ and the power of the risen Christ, it changes everything. Keep that before us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you um, are our Father, that you've allowed us to be your children, that we're princes and princesses to you that nothing can separate us east or west height or depth that, that nothing can can separate us from you and that you just pursue us that you love us that you want to use us that you have a passion that we would participate in your purposes and what you want to do in the kingdom lord i just pray that we'd be people that would um, submit to your holy spirit as you lead us and as you direct us and we know that it will bring glory to you, it will honor you, and it will store up for us treasures in heaven. We just give it a praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Dave real quick? Thanks, brother. Uh, listen, I just want to say, please read your bulletin, and I want to let you know that Grace Group is starting this week. So if you sign up for a new Grace Group, you'll be hearing from your leader, I would say, tomorrow, various things as they start, as early as Tuesday.
are again, Drew, and that's a change, then you would fill up 